Uh, for the rest of us, uh, would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 7 through 11. Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Father, we love you so. We are grateful for your kindness, for the mercy that you give us. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you today, to sing your praises, to hear your word, to bring to you the concerns of our heart. And now, O oh God, as we sit still and meditate upon your word, we pray that you would guide this, this meditation, this message. We pray, our oh God, that you, O oh Spirit, would hold sway over our hearts, and that you would change us and make us more into the image of Jesus. We pray for our kids and children's worship and ask that it will be a time in which their hearts are set free, that they might abandon themselves to you, and that even in this time, these children may come to know you as their Lord and as their King. We give this time to you, O God, and we ask for your Spirit to move in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> The, the book of Hebrews has several warning passages. Um, you see it uh, today, we'll be looking at one. Uh, Hebrews 6 is well known as a warning passage. Hebrews 10 is another of the warning passages in which the, the author, in, in, in seeking to uh, minister to these Jewish believers who uh, had a, a temptation, well, I'm not doing that well, uh, I can just see myself tripping over that. That wouldn't be very cool. Um, but uh, he's writing to these Jewish believers and uh, knows the temptations and, and the pressure that's going to be on them to, to maybe not keep moving forward. I mean, and, and, and we think about what they were facing. I mean, they'd grown up in the, in the Jewish church. That's where they had uh, spent their whole life. And, and now Jesus has come, and, and they believe that, and yet they have the, 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 the difficulty of their, their family and their friends and their whole culture pressuring them away from that new commitment to Jesus. Some have uh, talked about ministry in a, in a Muslim context, and one of the challenges of ministry in a, in a Muslim context is that Islam is the religion, but it also provides the, the entire culture for the community. They're all revolving around that idea of the religion. And that was true of the Jews, that their, their, their Judaism was, was their faith, but it was also their, their nation. It was also their, uh, um, their, their culture and their community. And so in coming to Jesus, they faced this, this challenge and this, this pressure. Their family would want them to, to not leave that culture, if you will, and, and the, the, the pressure from the synagogue, they may be kicked out of that, and all of that is, is pressures on them, and the author of the Hebrews recognizes this, and so continually throughout he says, and don't stop. And this is the very first of the warnings, and this warning that he's, he's giving them is, you know, you have to be warned against a, a hard heart. So you've got to work hard to keep your heart soft so that you're able to, to uh, keep moving forward. As we think about that and we recognize, isn't that true for us as well? 
that there's that temptation for our hearts to get hardened. And sometimes we think it's, sometimes it's, it's kind of wise. I remember uh, when we were in, in uh, Malawi the first time that we were there for 10 weeks. That's all, just 10 weeks. Um, magnificent 10 weeks. Uh, still, I would say that the best 10 weeks of, of my life. It was, it was great. But while we were there, one of the things that we, we saw was that someone that we knew, and we were just strangers coming in, but someone we knew or, or, or knew of in a reasonably close way died every week we were there. There was someone. And uh, that's, that's difficult to deal with. And I remember the, the doctor at the clinic, one day we were all together and, and someone had died that day and, and, uh, and he, was, he, was, he was downcast, he was a little weepy and, and we kind of asked, you know, how he's going and, and he says, well, I have a prayer request. And so we thought, you know, he'd be asking for prayer requests for someone else who was near death and he said, you know, pray for me. Pray for me that I always feel this when someone dies because I see the temptation for me to want to steel myself against it so I don't hurt. But this is a human soul. I want to feel the pain of what has gone on. It's maybe the most mature prayer request I've ever heard. It was fantastic. And it, and it still resonates in my heart because he knew that a hard heart is something that he could have inside him and he was afraid of it. And so he asked God to protect him from that. The author of Hebrews knows that a hard heart is always right there. But what is a hard heart? I want us to take just a moment and, and, and to look at what the Scripture has to say, a few passages in, in uh, the Scripture about having a hard heart, and in particular thinking about it from, from the steps that lead us to that hardening of our heart. The first is in, in Exodus chapter 7, uh, Pharaoh, right? He'd kind of be the poster child of hard hearts, right? That's, that's who we would begin to look at as, as a picture. But look at what it says about Pharaoh in, in chapter 7, verse 13. He says, Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Who's the them? It's Moses and Aaron, right? Moses and Aaron who are there to speak the very words of God. What is that expression of a hard heart that he shows? Is he quit listening to God? That was the first step of a hardened heart. Is he quit listening to God as God brought his message through his messengers? He quit listening and look at where that took him. But that was the beginning. And that can happen in our lives. We can, be, we can fight ourselves at those times when we quit listening to God. When we're not paying attention to what he has to say. And that's the beginning. The second passage I want us to consider is from Mark chapter 6. Uh, and this is uh, the uh, 12 disciples and what we see in, in their lives. In verse 51, Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. Now this is the moment, you know, when he walked on the water, and he gets in the boat, and the wind stops. They're astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. The disciples had a hardened heart. And what was the expression of that hardened heart? Is they, 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 they didn't notice the truth, right? They failed to see the truth. Jesus had, had taken the loaves and turned it into, to, fed 5,000 with it, right? And they didn't learn the lesson. 
They didn't see the truth of what had just transpired. So our, our hardened heart starts when, when we quit listening to God, and then when we quit seeing the truth that God puts before us. And finally, as we look at First Samuel, I mean Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 36. Second Chronicles is, is the end of Judah. Uh, they're about to be taken captive, and we read in uh, uh, chapter 36, uh, verse 13, speaking of uh, Zedekiah. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. That last step of the hardened heart. It starts by, I'm not listening any longer. The next step is, is I'm not seeing the truth that is there. And finally, there's a refusal to turn back to God. Did you notice the number of times, the passages that we looked at and the songs that we sang, they were talking to us about turning back to God? It's so much a part of what we've got to do in our lives, continually turning back to God. We get distracted. You know, we turn away and, 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 and you know, we turn our attention on whatever is around us, the world, the sin, whatever, and we turn away from God. And we've got to, the key is to keep turning back to Him, to keep turning back to Him. But you see, Zedekiah, his heart was so hardened that he stopped turning back to God. That's the hardened heart. I don't like a bummer message, do you? So what is a soft heart, pastor? <laughs> because you know what? Having a soft heart is not just what we do on our own. It's not us, you know what? I'm going to have a soft heart. That isn't going to work so much. We need some help with that, and so God has promised that. In the new covenant, as God promises the new covenant, Ezekiel chapter 36, he tells us something about his work in our lives and what he's determined to do. In Ezekiel chapter 36, in verse 26, he says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Notice from this passage what he's promising us. Is we do have that heart of stone. We do have that hardened heart. And he declares that he is going to reach into our heart, into our, into our, our chest, if you will, the chest of our spirit. And he's going to remove that heart of stone. He's going to take it out. He's the one who's going to do it. And he's going to take that heart, that soul heart, that heart of flesh, and place it inside. And within that heart, he's going to maintain it by also putting inside us his spirit, who is going to keep that heart soft. So it's God's work that's going to keep our heart soft. Now it's a work that's done not just entirely of him working in us as though we're puppets and he's just working through us. It's a, heart, it's, it's a work that's done as we work with God to see this accomplished in our life. As we cooperate with the leading of His Spirit, as we submit ourselves to the Spirit working inside us, that's how we're able to have that softened heart. He promises not just in the New Covenant to give us that soft heart. He promises in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, as He speaks to His people Israel, and He says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. There is the promise even in the old covenant that God was going to circumcise the heart. That circumcision, this, this external rite, this external sacrament that was done to eight-day-old baby boys was, was a sign of the circumcision of the heart which God would do. And we see that fulfilled in the New Testament through baptism. 
That when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ, He is circumcising our heart. He's giving us that new heart. He's taking away the stony parts and to replace it with the heart of flesh. We see an example of this lived out in 1 Samuel chapter 24 in the example of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 5. David, remember, has cut off part of Saul's robe, and we read this. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Now, the translators of the New American Standard um, had a, a dilemma in their translation in that there's an idiom in the Hebrew, and they needed to convey the idea uh, of, of the idiom to, uh, to, to the, the, the English-speaking audience that would be reading this, and how do you do that? And they said, well, what they're really talking about is the conscience bothers them. But the idiom itself, I think, is, is very instructive. The King James Version kept the idiom and used it. And that is, literally it says, David's heart smote him. I like that a lot better, don't you? His conscience bothered him is one thing. But you've experienced that moment when your heart struck you, right? When your heart just, just pounded inside you, you knew this is wrong. When you were convicted, his heart smote him. I love the way that, that that's put because I think it, it pictures the idea of a heart of flesh remaining soft. David's heart didn't always remain soft, did it? Remember with Bathsheba? I remember listening to a sermon that walked through that whole thing. Wouldn't it have been great if at the moment that David had decided to not go out with the troops into battle when kings were supposed to go out into battle, that his heart smote him? Wouldn't it have been great if instead, at the moment that he woke up late in the afternoon when he should have been up long ago, his heart smote him? Wouldn't it have been great as he looked out over there and he saw Bathsheba and he began to lust in his heart if his heart smote him? But in all of these, his heart was hardened until finally Nathan comes to him and says, you are the man. And that's when the tenderness returned. So we recognize there is this danger in our lives of a hard heart coming upon us, but there is the promise of the Spirit of God to give us that soft heart. So what, are the, what do we do to be able to keep our heart soft? I think this passage gives us uh, three directives. And the first is we, we have to listen to God's Spirit. To listen to God's Spirit. Read verse 7 with me. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, just as the Holy Spirit says, the word says is in the uh, present tense in the Greek, which means it's a present continuous action. The Holy Spirit didn't say in the past and He's done. The Holy Spirit is now saying it's something He's continuing to say to us. The Holy Spirit is continuing to communicate with us. The Holy Spirit has not quit speaking to us. He continues to speak to us. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us. Think about John, and, 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 and I'm not saying that we have continuing revelation of Scripture. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about what did Jesus mean in, in John chapter 14, verse 26, when he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. See, the Holy Spirit is active even now. 
He's the one who's teaching us. He's the one who gives our, our, our minds understanding. The illumination of the Spirit is, is what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit speaking to us today that He continues to speak to us. He gives us understanding. He brings to our mind a remembrance of what Christ has said to us, a remembrance of the Word of God. Have you ever experienced that? When just all of a sudden you remember Scripture? You remember, and maybe you're, you're talking to someone and, and just at that moment you remember this passage of Scripture that speaks specifically to the situation that you're dealing with. And it's the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And the Holy Spirit is speaking in that way. And that's precisely what the, the, the author of Hebrews is, is drawing our attention to. It's uh, also seen in chapter 15 of John, verse, uh, again, verse 26. When the, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. This promise of the Holy Spirit continuing to, to communicate with us and to, to help us to understand the Word of God. We've got to learn to listen to God's Spirit. Which means I need to heed the Scriptures. Notice I didn't say hear the Scriptures. Um, in, when I was taking my first Hebrew class, we were working on Deuteronomy chapter 6. And uh, it's the great Shema passage. Shema is the, the Hebrew word that's translated as hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's, that's the, the Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so we were looking at that. And he said, don't translate that as hear. Because it's more than simply your ear catching the air vibrations. It's the heart which is seeking to obey the idea that is conveyed to you in those vibrations of air. That's what Shema means. It's to heed what you hear. It isn't a matter of just hearing the Scripture, but heeding the Scripture. In this passage, uh, the author of Hebrews, in verses 8 through, through 11, he quotes Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. That's all it is. It's just a, a quote. There's a slight variation of utilizing uh, Meribah or the translation of that, and, and he does that. And he attributes this passage to the Holy Spirit, right? He says, the Holy Spirit is said, or is saying, and he quotes Scripture, so the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in Scripture, so we need to heed the Scriptures to understand. And to do that, we're going we're gonna to have to read the Bible. Right? It doesn't work. Uh, that, when I was in the New Age movement, they would, they would tell us to do things like, you know, uh, put my math book underneath my pillow and sleep on it, and then I'd know it in the morning. Never worked. Not one time. You know, all it did is give me a kink in my neck because it's too thick of a book. But yeah, so that doesn't work. So what do I have to do? I've got to read the Bible. I'm not going to naturally be believing or, or following the Bible if I'm not actually reading it. And I need to read all the different sections. For me, I love the New Testament epistles. If it was just up to me, I would spend most of my life reading from, from Romans to Jude. Right? I just, that's, that's, that's where I like, I, I just like the way that the truth is conveyed in that. There are other people, you know, I've got a friend who, he's just Psalms. He loves the Psalms. And whenever he's, neat, you know, at, at any moment, what are you doing in your devotions? Uh, I'm in the Psalms. And that's where he spends all of his time. And that's, that's tremendous. So for me, I probably need more time in the Psalms, right? And not just spend all of my time in the epistles. And for him, he may need to go to the you know, minor prophets from time to time, right? 
Maybe someone who's just in the, in the gospel. See, you need, to, you need to take in all of the different elements of the scripture so that we're hearing the whole word of God, all that he has to say, so we understand how it connects to one another and what that message is to us. To read all of the different sections of the scripture, but also to focus. Some of you have probably read through the Bible in a year, right? Some of the best devotions are, are times when I, when I do that for a year, and it's, and it's wonderful because you always know where you've got to go. Uh, and usually it's where you should have been last week, right? Because we're, we're usually running a little bit behind. It. But you also know the pressure of that and how hard that is. Like, I've got to read five chapters today. <sighs> okay, that's an awful lot of reading. And so you're reading along, and all of a sudden you look down at the page, and you realize, I have no idea what I just read on this page. I was thinking about cooking hamburgers later in. Okay, I've got to go back. But if I go back... Well, that means now I've got that much more to read, and I'm that much farther behind, and, and all the pressure begins to go on you, and it makes it very, very difficult, right? This is, this is, this is what makes it hard, <clears throat> and it's those times we have to learn to focus. We've got to slow down and listen to what God is saying in that passage. There's, there's no great thing in, in, in letting uh, the, the words go in and out. The, 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 the strength comes as they reside inside us. So to do that, one of the things I, I, I really strongly suggest is we need to memorize Scripture. It's important that we memorize Scripture. Matter of fact, Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's important to treasure. We see in uh, Psalm 37, it, it also tells us about the importance of, of treasuring God's word in our, in our heart. It's so essential that we do that, that we, we take the scripture. Now, when I said memorize scripture, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I know some of you immediately thought, I don't memorize well, right? Okay? And, and, and you know who you are, and that's okay, and I understand that. So don't, measure, don't memorize as much, okay? You have a hard time with memorizing? Don't plan on doing Psalm 119, okay? Just, just, just don't. That's not going to work, okay? You know, go to Psalm 117, right? Shortest verse in the Bible, right in the middle. Go there, that, that shortest, shortest uh, chapter in the Bible. Memorize that one instead. Start out with your devotions. You know, what are you reading in your devotions? Whatever you read tomorrow morning, find one verse and then reread that verse four times every day this next week. And what you're going to find is you're going to then begin to memorize maybe one verse a week, maybe one verse every two weeks. But now you're memorizing Scripture and you're putting it into your heart so that you're, you're allowing it to guide you in the decisions that you make. When I first came to, to, to Providence, um, we, the officers, elders and deacons, got together and we were looking at the, the, the vision of the church. And there was a vision statement, there were five points to it, and each of the points had two paragraphs to explain. And so I asked us, okay, so let's reproduce our, our vision. What's our vision? We couldn't do it, right? There was too much. There was too much, it was too big. And, and so what we began to see is, well, if, if we can't recite it, are we actually making decisions based on it? If we don't know it, is it actually affecting the decisions that we make? It can't be, right? Isn't that then true of the Bible? If I don't know the Bible, I, my decisions may end up being consistent with the Bible, but it's not because I have purposely made the decision based upon the Word of God because I've remembered the Word of God and decided to have it fo uh, follow it. I've got to memorize the Scripture so that it guides 
the decisions that I make. There are tools that are out there. The navigators have the topical memory system, which is fantastic because you memorize the scripture with different ideas in mind so that when you face these different situations, you've got scripture that will help you to do that. By the way, there is an app that you can download onto your phone. And if some of you are doing this while I'm, I'm preaching, I'm going to assume that you're downloading the app, and that'll be great. So uh, we'll see if we can shut down our, our Wi-Fi for a little while. And, uh, because that's a great thing, that you're using this technology to get the Word of God into your heart. Amen. Great. Do that. Whatever it takes, but to find ways to memorize Scripture. And you can find fun ways of doing it. Um, Robin's not a... a, a uh, memory, Scripture memory wasn't her, her gift, but she and I and her, her brother and sister-in-law were waiting outside of uh, the White House for a tour of the White House years ago. This was before we had children, so that tells you how long ago it was. And we memorized the first chapter of Ephesians. All of it in line to get into the White House. <laughs> Does that tell you how long we were in line? I mean, it was maybe an hour or more. We also had Karen, who's just great at helping us to keep in line and keep that memory going, and it was great. And, and so it was a wonderful thing. We're standing in line, and we're quoting Scripture to, to one another outside the White House of our nation. That's a good thing, isn't it? And I'm glad that God did that. When I would take youth for a, 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 a youth trip, we would always have a passage of Scripture that we were going to memorize. And so the way we'd do it, it would be in a big old van, and we would start, and the first person would say the first word of the verse, and then the next person says the next, and you just keep going. And if anybody messes up, you have to start over again. You talk about putting pressure on young people to memorize Scripture well. It was very effective, very effective. They also want to get done with it, so they memorize it quickly. But it was a great tool. It made it fun. And I'll bet many of them to this day would be able to remember those verses that we memorized because we're putting it in our heart. Why? Not to just have it in our heart, but so that we might practice Scripture so that we might put it into practice. The question I was asked years ago was, how much of the scripture do you think you know? I gave the percentage. How much of what you know are you practicing? That's profound. That's what I want to do. I want to live my life by the word of God. I want it to guide all of the things that I think, all of the actions that I do. So I've got to heed the scriptures, and then I have to pay attention to providence. To pay attention to providence. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what are God's works of providence? The answer is that they are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. To see what the confession, the catechism is telling us is that God is in control of what happens in this world around us. I've been reading a, another book by Francis Schaeffer, um, God who is there, and he, God is there, and He is not silent. I think is the title, um, and uh, he talks about how today so much of our presuppositions revolve around the assertion that everything is kind of by chance around us. We live our lives as though it's, it's just an, an odd coincidence that uh, I, I bump into someone at the, at the grocery store. It's an odd coincidence that a car goes by when it goes by. It's an odd coincidence that I find myself in York. It's an odd coincidence, and everything's just this, this group of coincidences. And he says a lot of that is driven from our, our, be our, our thoughts about the beginnings. Where did everything start? 
And there, there, there are really two options. Did everything start with, with matter or with a personality? Which was there? Was matter there and therefore it is forever? Or is there a personality that was there? If matter was there, then everything around us, if everything started from matter, that matter was there, there wasn't a personality, personality came later, there was, there was only matter. If everything came just from matter, then what we find is, is chaos does revolve, is uh, the, the guiding force. If everything came from matter, then all that is, is simply a very pleasant collection of, of random events, right? Accidents, if you will, that took place and that took place in order to bring all that is in this world here. That all of us are here because of random acts. Things of chance. And to look at that and then to say, and to assume that by random acts of chance, somehow order came out of it, doesn't make any sense. Because randomness is what causes everything to happen. Not order, but we see that there is order. And the fact that there is so much order in this world around us, the fact that I was able to speak those words, which conveyed a thought from my mind to yours, and what went into your mind is probably roughly similar to what was in mine, because there is an order to the words that I'm speaking. And because there is that order to the words that I'm speaking, we're able to have communication, things are able to work. Well, that would demonstrate that things are not out of, in chaos. But they're in order. And what brought the order? That's because there was a personality first that brought into effect matter. That it was God who was superintending the creation of all that is. And it's God who is working. He did so with order because He's a God of providence. And as I then begin to look at my life and I begin to recognize that God is involved in the events of my life, to begin to see His providence in what I'm experiencing in my life, is a discipline that I have to develop to ask myself, what is God doing? I was a team leader for Mission of the World's mission in Scotland uh, for a time, and I, I had to take a trip to Scotland as, as a team leader. And I had a twofold task. One was to shepherd my team. The second was the, the ministry in Scotland had been a very difficult ministry. And our missionaries were coming back uh, very injured and, and having uh, just major problems emotionally. And they wanted to find out why, and so I was asked to begin to do that. And so I was getting ready to go. I talked with Robin's dad, and he said to me, he said, Vince, when you get there, ask them this question. What is God doing in Scotland? And so I talked with pastors, I talked with lay people, I talked with elders, and I would ask them that question. What is God doing in Scotland? And you know, I had some of the most wonderful, deep conversations with people because they cared very much about that idea. And they began to look and to see what God was doing in that place. Do we have eyes to see what God is doing? Do you see what the passage says about uh, the, the, the children of Israel who were, who were kept out of, of the land, that they had to, they had to then uh, walk around, and he says, and they saw his deeds. They were forced to see what God had done. What is God doing in your life? Look at that. Why has God brought the people into your life that are in your life? Why has God placed you where he has placed you? Consider that question. Listen to God's spirit. He's working through the scriptures and through his providence. Secondly, see God's faithfulness. 
verse 8 through 10. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the days and the trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. It says in the day of trial in the wilderness, he's really speaking about what took place in Exodus chapter 17 verses 2 through 3. This is the day of trial because in in Psalm 95 it talks about in uh, Meribah, and uh, so that's how we know, uh, and Meribah is what is spoken of in, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 2 and 3, which says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? First off, I want you to note the cynicism that is there in the people. The cynicism that I think in in some ways has led them to a conspiracy theory. The cynicism says, I know Moses' heart, and Moses, you did this to kill us. You have brought us out here that we might die in the wilderness. The conspiracy theory is my question, how many of the people said, you were in cahoots with Pharaoh. You guys were working together to just get us out of there so you could kill us out here so that our bodies wouldn't be in Egypt. That's all you've done. And what was the, 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 the basis of all of that? They had forgotten the faithfulness of God. Their hearts were hardened. And they did not see the faithfulness of God. They did not trust God's faithfulness. We've got to remember the past. Israel, in in the Exodus, had an opportunity to look back and they would have remembered the Red Sea, right? They could have remembered that God parted that sea and allowed them to pass not through mud, but through dry ground. They could have remembered the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, but they didn't. They lost sight of God's faithfulness. We can too, can't we? Sometimes we forget God's faithfulness. One of the things, uh, uh, pastors I know, we'll talk about Mondays. Mondays are the days we doubt God's call, right? That's what we do on Mondays, right? It's kind of like the Elijah syndrome. You have a, a, a wonderful Sunday, and then the next day it's like, why am I even here? I don't belong in the ministry. I don't, you know, and, and, and the, the questions come. And, um, One of the things that God has given me to assist when those moments come is in 2011, 2012, I was not in the ministry. I was still ordained, uh, but I'd left a church, and I was working in a a paint store in Florida. And and I loved it. I enjoyed it. I had worked in the paint store before uh, uh, I went to seminary. I worked in the paint business while I was in seminary, and and it's something I enjoyed and, and uh, was, was having great ministry. Um, one of my uh, fellow co-workers, she was Jehovah's Witness, and one of her friends came in and she said to the friend, hey, let me introduce you to my pastor, Vince. Well, okay, <laughs> we just worked together and, and, and that worked out. But there was a, a good influence. I was given uh, greater responsibilities. I was beginning to fill in for different managers who uh, had to be gone on, on weekends and I would just kind of take care of the store for them and it was, it was good. Um, and I was beginning to think, I was also applying for churches. Uh, I sent out probably 50 resumes during that time and, and looking for churches and, and uh, nothing. 
that may have been when I sent my first uh, resume here, and John, the chairman of that committee, uh, we enjoy that, uh, but, uh, but uh, I did say first. So, um, but all that's going on, and no, and no one's calling. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe God hasn't called me to the ministry, so I just need to give up on that, and I'm about ready to resign the ministry and just go to work in the paint store. When I get a call from Lander, Wyoming, and they say, hey, our church has just gone through a, a split. We're having a hard time. We need an interim pastor. Would you be willing to come do that? Yes, I would. So we head off to Lander, Wyoming. We end up in Lander. I've got to call back to the paint store uh, to get some tax information. So I call up and I start talking to them. I find out that five managers right there in the area had just been fired. And they needed managers to take over the stores that I had 10 years' experience doing. And I look at that and I say, so if, if God had not given me that interim call, I would have left the ministry and I'd be selling paint... I'd be in Florida, which is nice, but I wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't be in the ministry. And I look at that, and I say, God reminds me that he has indeed called me to the ministry because I look back at his faithfulness. He didn't have to do that. When I draw a straight line from Florida to Pennsylvania, it doesn't go through Wyoming, but God's apparently does, right? Very good. That's what he wants to do. So I look, and I see his faithfulness. So I turn to you, and I say, where has God been faithful in your life? And it's not just a, a, a cutesy question to, to, to color green in, in, in the uh, notes. That's a question to really ask and to begin to write down examples of where has God been faithful. And every one of you, things come to your mind, don't they? Always look to see God's faithfulness. Remember the past and then move forward in faith. The Hebrews believed but they were tempted to stop. And so he writes to them and he tells them to not let their heart be hardened. He tells them to go, to move forward. Don't settle. Keep growing. God will sustain you. God will lead you. God will bless you because God is faithful. And the third way to keep our hearts soft is we have to learn to rest. He says in verse 11, As I swore in my wrath, I shall not enter my rest. That's an awful sentence, isn't it? They shall not enter my rest. It's hard to rest sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to rest. Um, Patrick and I talked about this in, in Belize. The first couple times that we went to Belize, um, we stayed in, basically it was like a concrete bunker. Yes, you know, it'd cool off at night to 90. But at least it was 95% humidity, so that was awful. Um, and, and so we're hot, we're, we're sleeping, there's no AC, there, you know, the only respite is there, we, there was no hot water for showers, that was good. Um, but that's, that's where we were staying, and I'd say, but you know, we were able to sleep in that, and, and he pointed out to me, he says, no, we didn't. We passed out from sheer exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> there wasn't any rest in that. And you know it's hard to rest. And I think it's hard to rest for a couple different reasons. Number one, we, 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 we think that there's still work to do, right? I've got things I've got to do. And so even when we sit down to rest, it's like I'm thinking about all these things I've got to do, and so I'm not resting. And the second is when I rest, I'm defenseless. So in order to rest, I have to believe that the work will wait, and I have to believe I'm safe. 
If I can believe that the work will wait and if I can believe that I'm safe, I can rest. Because I believe that rest is actually a reward for faith. He's talking about, I think, primarily earthly rest when he says here, they shall not enter my rest. He's talking about entering into the promised land. He was telling these people that they were not going to be able to go into the promised land. So he had them wander around for 40 years in the desert. But they couldn't go into the promised land. Now think about, well, we think about that. We're going into land. Well, they're not going to rest there. They're going to be farmers. and They're going to have to raise uh, animals. And they're going to build houses. and, And yes, that's all true. But they were slaves. They had been in slavery where all of their labor went to benefit someone else and they got nothing for it. Now when they go into the land, they'll be able to work for themselves. And that's where rest will be found. The work did never end when you're a slave and you were never safe. Now the work would be able to end and they would be safe. And they were looking forward to that. And so it was that rest that they weren't going into. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because there was one individual in particular who I don't think was alone, who wasn't allowed to enter into the rest, who was a believer. His name was Moses. Yeah, okay. So it isn't talking about all of them are going to perish and not even be able to make it into heaven. Now, there are some that that was true, right? But there were some who would go into heaven, but they didn't get to receive the physical temporal blessing of rest. We can receive even that physical temporal blessing of rest and eternal rest when we learn how to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the promise that he gives. That there is rest for us who will, in faith, come unto him. Will you believe God's promise and find rest? Will you believe his promise? Do you feel the weight and the burden? Do you feel the recognition that you have sinned against God and that you're guilty? You're not the worst person that's ever lived, there's no doubt. But you have sinned against God and the guilt is real. And it doesn't just go away. With time, will you bring that to Jesus and say, will you forgive me for my sin, the sin that I hold on to? Will you take it away? Turn to him today and trust his promise that he says, I'll forgive you. Trust him today. Where do you need to trust God? Is it for salvation? Then come. Do you need to trust God with your health? It doesn't mean I'm going to trust God for my health so then I'm going to get all better. But I'm going to trust God with my health. Are you going to trust God with your family, with your children, with your grandchildren? Trusting God with your sanctification. You know what I mean? Because you still fail, don't you? There's still pain in your failing. Will you trust God that he's still at work in you and you can get up and return to the Lord? To trust him today, wherever you need. Friends, he's faithful. Trust him. Learn to rest.
<clears throat> there's a song by Petra that I've listened to over and over this last week. Um, it's called, Don't Let Your Heart Be Hardened. Don't Let Your Love Grow Cold. May it stay so childlike. May it never grow too old. I like that. I think that's a helpful reminder and a helpful prayer to pray to God. Don't let your heart grow hardened because the temptation is always there. The opportunity is always there. The danger is always there, friends. We live in a sin-cursed world. We live with sin still present in our hearts. We face pain and failure. We can find ourselves no longer listening. We can quit focusing on the truth. And may God prevent us from ever being to a place where we stop turning back to the Lord. These are the dangers that we face. The author of Hebrews knew that, and so he gives us this warning. And he says to keep your heart soft. To do that, keep listening to God's Spirit. Learn to see God's faithfulness and learn to rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, here we are before you with a recognition that our hearts can harden. And as a matter of fact, it would seem that in this sin-cursed world, hard is the natural state of our hearts. And so we come to you, Lord, and we ask that you would help our hearts to be soft. I pray for this congregation as I pray for my own self, O oh God. Help us to listen to your spirit. Help us to see your faithfulness and teach us to rest. In Jesus' name, amen.